looking for encouragement today? Here on Graceful Truth, we're led to understand that the encouragement comes from being indwelt by Christ. And as we'll see today, you're not alone. The most important and powerful encouragement in Christ comes from us being indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. And that's really what his admonition is here. When he says in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, be of one mind, of one spirit. Basically what he's saying is, shouldn't your divine influence, because you are a Christian and you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, shouldn't that compel you to preserve the unity that's so precious to him? Why would you want to do anything that would disrupt unity that we have in Christ? We would never want to do that. That's the idea. Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. This is Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Welcome to our broadcast. We begin a three-part series simply entitled Unity. We would invite you to join us today as we take a look at spiritual unity, the encouragement found within unity here within the church, as well as unity in Christ. A lot of ground to cover, so let's jump right to it. Here's our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth. Probably one of the greatest dangers facing the church today is the attack on its authority, the Word of God. I don't think any of us would argue with that. But you'd probably come up with other things. You could probably say the world, sin, the devil, apathetic believers, kind of a general coldness to the things of God in our society, indifference to absolute truth. Our society seems to shun the truth that God puts forth in his word over and over again, and his standards of righteousness are constantly being kind of worn down to where they're almost attainable to the normal person each and every day. I think all those things are are serious problems that come against the church, but I think one of the, the most serious problems that can come against any church is what not comes without, but what comes from within. I think one of the dangers that the church faces should be feared on an equal basis is its unity. All those things that we we, we just mentioned, whether it's the world, sin, the devil, uh, coming against the authority of God's word, all those things can, I think, disrupt and weaken and pose a serious problem for the church. But there's something to be said when within the church there begins to brew a discord of of disharmony and, and, and conflict and division. If you turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, look at verse 20, because Paul really had this on his heart when he wrote his last letter to the, the Corinthian church, and he expressed a, a fear of sins that destroy unity within the body of Christ. And he says there, for I, for I fear lest when I come I shall not find you as such as I wish and that I shall be found by you such as you do not wait. Lest there be contentions, and he begins to list off these things, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, backbitings, whisperings, conceits, tumults, lest when I come again, my God will humble me among you, and I shall mourn for many who have sinned before and have not repented of the uncleanness, fornication, and lewdness which they have practiced. And so he, you see there are two classifications that concerns Paul as far as the, the church. First of all, he in verse 20, he talks about the unity of the church. He lists things such as anger and disruptions and disputes and slanders, all these things going on. 
But then he also fears, I think, those things that destroy the purity of the church. And he talks about immorality and things like that. And I think that the Philippian church faced the danger of, of discord and division among their ranks. They were a pretty good church. They had a lot of things in order. But in chapter 4, verse 2, he kind of talks about this conflict that two people have within the body, Euodia and Syntyche. And he, Paul has to bring it up because they weren't dealing with it. The one thing we have to understand is disunity is a real potential danger in any church. And when it causes discord and division, it does not obviously glorify the Lord at all. And that was a, a concern that Paul had in a lot of his letters. In Romans chapter 15, verses 5 to 7, he wrote to the, the, the church at Rome, Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore accept one another just as Christ also has accepted us for the glory of God. And to the, the, the Corinthians in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. As we read in 2 Corinthians in verse uh, chapter 17, verse 11, he says, Rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the love of God and peace will be with you. He even warned the Galatians at, at the church of Galatia, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another, in Galatians chapter 5. And we read, I think it was last week, out of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, where Paul says that we're to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which we call. And we talked about that last week, that we should walk with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he goes on and he says, there's just one body, there's one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and one Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so when Paul begins chapter 2 of Philippians, unity is on his heart, kind of running through his, his veins, and he has it on his mind. And I think true unity, true spiritual unity, as we're talking about this morning, is grounded in the Trinity in God itself. You might want to ask yourself this question, does does Jesus ever look at his father and say, hey, you know, I don't agree with you on this one? Or does the Holy Spirit say, you want me to go down there and do that? No, I don't think so. No, there's never any disunity within the Godhead, within the Trinity. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes the church at Colossae, and as we went over this, he said, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. See, when, you, when he says that, that implies that there's going to be reasons to forgive, which there are a multitude of reasons to forgive. Bearing with one another. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, he says, just as the Lord forgave you, so you should also, beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. That unity is what Jesus prayed for in John 17, if you remember. Jesus said, may they be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. And that prayer was answered when? When the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, and he indwelt all the believers. That essential unity of all believers in the body of Christ, because we have it, it's already there. It's not something we have to establish. We already have unity with one another. It should affect the way we practice, the way we live, the way we treat each other. So disunity among God's people on any level 
deeply, I really believe, grieves the Lord and grieves the Spirit of Christ. Now, the enemy, on the other hand, the one main thing he wants to do is what? Yeah, conquer and divide, right? You know, I mean, he, he, you know, he's deceived. He thinks he can still win by some weird way. And so he's, he's out to do as much damage as he can. And that's why it's so important within the local church that we're on guard about that because we know that's what he's going to do. You know, we can go around the room and say, when's the last somebody offended you here at Grace Bible Church? You wouldn't have to think too long. I mean, none of us would because it happens every day. Not on a purposeful level, hopefully. But I mean, we all get offended in different ways at different times. And, and we're called not to, to be divisive and, and, you know, get our little group over here and factious and begin bickering about each other and all that stuff because basically that's not going to help us grow spiritually. And when, it, when a church is made up of that kind of a spiritual uh, maturity level where that's where they're at bickering and all this stuff is going on they're spiritually weak and you know they can't really be used to uh, to, to be a, a threat to the, the devil's work first of all and they have little power if any of advancing the gospel of Christ and so we really need to maintain or restore and, and have that spiritual unity within our own congregation and I'm not saying we don't have that I'm just saying we have to be on guard about that because we can have all the right doctrine have all the moral purity and all the, the, the passion, passionate commitment to the gospel that we have, but we don't have unity with each other. We don't have anything. And so when Paul is talking here in Philippians chapter 2, he's not talking about doctrine. He's not talking about ideas. He's not even talking about practices that are clearly unbiblical. Okay, I'm not saying this morning that we just need to, you know, group hug, you know, everybody get together and, you know, it doesn't matter what you believe. It doesn't matter what your life's like or whatever. No, we're not talking about that. It's about interpretations. It's about standards. He's talking about interests here. He's talking about preferences. And a lot of that has to do with matters of personal choice. And, and such issues are never to be controversial within the body of Christ. Because, you know what, there's a lot of things on this side of heaven that a lot of us don't have a complete understanding. Of. And so, you know, if we were to say, well, if, if you know, you have to believe this or else. Now, on the main doctrines, obviously, you know, you, you can't come in here and say, well, you know, I don't believe Jesus is God. Well, you know, I'm going to fight you on that one, okay? So, uh, I mean, there's there's certain issues that are very elementary to Christianity, but there's other ones that are, well, you know, um, should a man wear his hair past his ears? You know, it's crazy stuff like that. I mean, you might laugh because we're not a church that, that's like that, but there are some churches that are very much like that. There are some churches very much that, you know, they would never see their pastor on a Sunday morning in front of them preaching a sermon behind a pulpit without a tie on. And I didn't do that just for this illustration. I did it because we had a picnic today and it was hot. And I fought my wife all the way. I'm not wearing a tie. So put something else that's nice. Last week I just didn't feel good in a tie. It was too hot. You know, it doesn't matter. I mean, who cares? We're not here to have a fashion show. And so we're, we're never, believers are never to compromise doctrines or principles that are clearly biblical. I mean, we have to hold on to the truth. But on the other hand, on the secondary issues, we, we should defer. We should humble ourselves and, okay, that's one viewpoint. Well, what's another viewpoint? And I think it's really a mark of maturity when you have that ability to back off and let somebody express their view and say, okay, great. You can believe that and still be a Christian. You know, that, that's not, a, that's not a, uh, a main doctrinal issue here. And so the unity that the word exalts is always inward. It's never outward. It's always inwardly desired. It's never really externally you know, compelled, you might say. 
because it's a spiritual unity. It's not just a ecclesiastical kind of a church, like all the churches have to get together and agree with everything. We're not talking about that. We're talking about a spiritual unity. And it's really, it's grounded in the spirit of Christ. It's spirit motivated, it's spirit empowered in the hearts and souls and minds of those who know Christ. And preserving that unity of the church is not an option. I mean, Ephesians 4.3 says that that's what we're to do. That's a command. That's not something that's optional. And so whenever we're given the opportunity to preserve unity in a relationship or within the church, we should always defer and to that unity if it's not compromising a major doctrine. Now, I had an illustration this morning. It kind of fell apart because I forgot my marbles. But I was going to show you this morning, if you, if you stop and think about it this way, if I had a bag of marbles here this morning, all right, you can look in this bag, you know, the fishnet, they kind of come in, and, and all the, the marbles may be different sizes, they may be different colors, all sorts of things, but they're held together by that bag. Now, if I take that bag and open it up and just kind of, you, you know, go like this, there's going to be marbles, and it's probably a good reason I, you know, didn't have these marbles here. They'd be all over the floor, and, you know, who knows what would happen. But, you know, if I take them out of the bag, what happens to them? They're just scattered, all right? Now, you know, if that bag is ripped or torn or opened up, all those marbles scatter. Well, on the other hand, if you stop and you think about this, here's a, a little dish, and it's got a magnet in it. And inside this little dish, I have some nuts, bolts, all different sizes, bunch of different things. Okay, think of this as the church, all right? Now, these aren't in a bag, okay? Uh, the, the, the people who make up the body of Christ are not in a bag. They're in, in Christ. That's what we're called, right? So when I drop these in there... Okay, I mean, I can drop on the table and they go all over, but if I drop them in there, what happens to them? I mean, they, they stay in there, okay? And they're, they're together, even though they're different sizes, even though they're different shapes, they're held together because of the power of the magnet. And the reason they're held together because of the power of the magnet, who can tell me? Is because they're all made up of what? Metal, okay? Now, if I put a piece of plastic in there, what's going to happen? It's going to fall out because it doesn't possess the element that attracts, that is attracted to the magnet. And so it's important to understand that the body of Christ, even though we're different shapes and sizes, we're made up of all the same spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. And so when we're called to be together, even though we're different sizes, different personalities, we're held together by the power of Christ. And that's such an important thing to understand, okay? And I, and I think that it's, it's important to, to realize, you know, that, that when we... When we talk about that, it's not just a, a thing that, you know, well, yeah, we're all kind of made up different. No, we all have the same spirit. And by our nature, we're in Christ. And if something pulls that, 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 that bolt out of that thing, eventually, if I let it go, it's going to go back. Why? Because it's made up of the right properties that it collects, that the magnet attract, is, is attracted to. And so when we're divinely empowered, when we're divinely indwelt by the spirit of Christ, all right, it doesn't matter what happened in our life, in our circumstances, whatever, we're, we're still there because Christ is the magnetic power that's holding us together. It's not our circumstances. And I think that that's a key point. If I put those nuts and bolts in just a regular bowl, what would happen if I turned it upside down? They'd all fall out. Why? Because there's no component there to hold them there. And when you look in, in Acts, you know, that unity was manifested after Pentecost. I mean, thousands of new believers came to Christ, and it says that they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, first of all, to fellowship, and all those who had believed had all things in common together. They, they had breaking of bread and prayer. Day by day, they continued with one mind in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, and as they were taking their meals with gladness and sincerity of heart. 
See, their, their oneness in Christ is permanent. You, you can't take that away because you didn't start it. It's just like that bolt can't jump out of that thing. Why? Because the magnet holds it. And I think that that's such an important point. And that's what, what Paul is talking about in Ephesians. He says, you know what? When we're subject to life's trials and things like that, sometimes we get a little frail. We get a little maybe ragged around the edges. We get a little, you know, faint-hearted. But you know what? It doesn't take us out of Christ. It, it basically says that we have to preserve that union. And we're called to preserve it. We're not called to make that union. In Ephesians 4, 3, where he says that, that word means to make a persistent effort, preserve the unity. And spiritual unity must be constantly cultivated. It must be constantly preserved by being selfless, by, by driving to do that for the Lord. Well, the, the church at Philippi was pretty much sound theologically. They knew what they believed. They were devoted to it. They were moral. They were loving. They were zealous. They were courageous, prayerful, generous, obviously. They helped Paul out on occasion. And yet they still had problem in one area. There was some discord brewing. With a couple people, just a couple people, and that's all it takes. And such people, such troublemakers, can stir up the contention and strife, and all of a sudden you have the whole body fractioned out. Everybody's in their little club. And because disunity is so debilitating, you know, Paul really has to, over and over again in his letters to churches, make sure that, you know what, we need to guard against this. We need to guard against it. And he had just expressed that to the Philippians in, in verse uh, 27. He says, conduct yourselves worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come or whether I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And so now in verse 1 and 1 through 4 of chapter 2, he carries on that same thought. That's why there in verse 1 he says, therefore, and that's the correct translation. Some translations say, if therefore. The correct translation of that verse is, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. Well, here in the, in the first couple verses here, he kind of breaks it down. And he says, you know what, if you want spiritual unity in your life and in the body and in the church, you have to have three things. You have to have the right motives, the right marks, and the, and the right means or the right attitudes to carry these out. And so as you look through that, he really kind of points that out. Let's look at the first one, the right motivation for spiritual unity. He says, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or compassion and compassion, make my joy complete. Now, it's kind of important that he's coming off of what he just said in verse 27, because he, he gave them a divine injunction that they should make sure that they're of one mind and one spirit and so forth. And we talked about that last week. But then you see there four ifs, if this, if that, you know, if there's consolation, if encouragement, Christ, if fellowship of love, if affection. What's he saying? Well, you have to understand in the original language, that can mean a couple different things. In our language, it can even mean a couple different things. I could say, if I go to the park after church, uh, I'll see you at the picnic. Well, that what does that lead you to believe? I may not go to the park, right? Because I'm saying if I do. Well, really, in the Greek here, this is constructed in such a way. And, and this word if is always conditional, okay? But here in this case, it's called a first class conditional clause. And you know, we don't need to get into all this, but basically what it means is if this condition is true, 
and it is, then, and he goes on, the following is true. That's the idea. It'd be like me saying, you know, if I go to the park after church and I'm coming, I'll see you at the picnic. Well, that doesn't leave any doubt in your mind that I'll be there, all right? And so he's not saying, well, do we have any consolation? Is there any consolation in Christ? He's not asking a question. He's making a statement here. And so the therefore looks back to that principle in verse 27 when he says, make sure that you're of one mind and one spirit. And the if in verse 1 of chapter 2 looks forward to these four things that he shares with. The first two relate primarily to Christ and the second two relate primarily uh, to the Holy Spirit. Look at the first one there. He says the first motivation is that there is encouragement in Christ. That word encouragement means to come alongside of somebody, to give assistance by offering comfort, um, by offering counsel or exhortation. It's, it's the exact same kind of assistance when Jesus spoke of the Good Samaritan. That's the kind of assistance we're talking about. That after doing everything he could for the robbed and beaten stranger, what did he do? Did he walk away? No. He took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and he said, you know what? Take care of this guy. He needs some help. And whatever more you spend, I'll repay you. He did more and above what was expected. And in a closely related word, Jesus uses the same word to refer to who? The Holy Spirit. He who comes alongside us as believers. And so the most important and powerful encouragement in Christ comes from us being indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. And that's really what his admonition is here. When he says in verse 27, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, be of one mind, of one spirit. Basically, what he's saying is, shouldn't your divine influence, because you are a Christian and you are indwelt by the Spirit of God, shouldn't that compel you to preserve the unity that's so precious to him? Why would you want to do anything that would disrupt unity that we have in Christ? We would never want to do that. That's the idea, because we've been indwelt by the Spirit of Christ. And so that encouragement is there. Also, he says, secondly, the consolation of love. Consolation means basically speaking closely to somebody, giving comfort, uh, giving solace. It kind of plays off the, the previous word of encouragement. But they both, both of those words, consolation and encouragement, involve a close relationship marked by genuine concern and helpfulness. See, that's why when we come to church, I mean, it shouldn't just be to come and sit and hear somebody speak and sing some songs and go home. It should be, that's why we have a fellowship time afterwards, to get to know each other and warm up to each other so that you can begin to encourage and, and have consolation among yourselves. That's why we're called the body of Christ. That's why we come together to worship and to fellowship. Well, thank you for spending time with us here today on Graceful Truth, the ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you would like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We meet at 2225 Euclid Avenue here in Redwood City. Directions are on our website, gracefultruth.org, or again, simply call 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. 
And again, we'd love to have you join us for worship. Simply call for directions or go to our website, gracefultruth.org. While you're at our website, make sure to check out the resource materials available from us here at Graceful Truth, including past programs of Graceful Truth that you can download for free. Gracefultruth.org is where to go. And while you're at our website, don't forget to download our mobile app, new and improved and ready to use, whether you're securely donating online or taking advantage of the podcasts on your mobile phone, simply go to iTunes or Google Play and look for Grace Bible Church Redwood City-CA. Or stop by our website, gracefultruth.org, and follow the prompts. If you're writing to us, our address is 2225 Euclid Avenue. That's 2225 Euclid Avenue. We're here in Redwood City. The zip code is 94061. And again, our phone number is 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. We thank you for spending time with us today and trust we'll see you next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.